This is a podcast by the Business Times. The Singapore FinTech Festival is into its fifth edition, and this year's festival will highlight that innovation is not limited by physical borders. The round-the-clock event can now be accessed virtually to participants around the world. And with its 24/7 offering this year, it has also attracted luminaries to speak, including Bill Gates and Sundar Pichai. In this special podcast edition by the Business Times, we are here with Ravi Menon, Managing Director of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, to discuss topics that would define this annual highlight on Singapore's calendar. Thank you for joining us this year again, Mr. Menon, and we hope you've kept safe and well. Yes, good to see you again, JB. Let's go back to the topic of digital banking, which is certainly a hot topic. We know that the results are due soon. If we go back to the objectives of having digital banks to challenge the incumbents, the aim at that point, and I'm sure remains to be so, is to have digital banks address the gaps in the financial sector, what people perceive to be unbanked or underbanked, despite Singapore being a well-banked market. Having reviewed numerous applications today, how well would you say digital banks can rise to that challenge? Well, we've been quite impressed by the quality of the applications we've seen. Let's step back and see, just to be sure that we understand the landscape well. Digital banking is alive and well in Singapore. Our banks, especially the three local banks here and the foreign banks here, have been offering a variety of digital financial solutions, and they've been improving year after year. So we have digital banking. I think the new dimension that is being brought here is non-traditional, non-financial players who operate in different sectors, but with very large data sets and the ability to crunch that data. Can they apply those capabilities to the financial services sector, in particular to reach out to underserved segments of the market? There is no financial inclusion problem in Singapore. Most of us are banked. Most of us can get a loan. But there are specific areas where there is underservice. Take for example, it's quite easy to get a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage loan in Singapore. A bank will give that to you actually very quickly. If you're an SME and you want a twenty thousand dollar working capital, that too is possible. The banks know how to do this. You are a micro enterprise. You need two hundred dollars overnight to make an urgent payment to your supplier. That. Is difficult for the banks to do. It's easier to borrow twenty thousand dollars than to borrow two hundred dollars overnight. But we've seen examples in China where some of these non-financial players, using large data sets that they know about the individuals, are able to make a quick credit assessment within minutes and extend that two hundred dollars overnight. And they do get the money back and they earn a small interest. So it is profitable. It is sustainable. And that is the kind of thing that we like to see here, where. Very specific segments of the population. Likewise, for individuals, financial planning, for instance, is something that needs to be done in a comprehensive, holistic manner. Again, the ability to aggregate data and draw insights from it is very critical. And again, we are hoping that some of these digital banks will be able to do that, and that will provide stiff competition to the existing banks, who will then raise their game as well. We know that the digital banks are operating just off the cuffs of pandemic recovery, or is going through a time of recovery. How would you view the considerations of whether there are too many, or would that change the way you review the number of digital banks that we should have in the system today? I don't think that would change the number of banks we need to have. But what we did do is, if you recall, in June we reached out to all the digital bank applicants and told them we're going to postpone the exercise because we want to see fresh plans. How are you going to cope with the pandemic and the post-pandemic landscape? So we need to. See fresh plans, business models, and pathway to financial sustainability 
taking into account the unique circumstances that we are in today and will be for the next few years at least. So that's what we've done. And the digital banks have gone back and come back with fresh plans. And financial strength of the parent is something we look at very closely. The ability to support the operations, even during difficult startup period, and how they're going to achieve a pathway to profitability. So these were very carefully assessed. And it's not just the applications, but we also met them in person to hear from them get a sense of how they intend to do this. We look at the quality of the management, the kind of people they're bringing in to manage the business and the finances. So it's not just about the technology, it's also about the financial strength. But the timeline surely would change as well, right? Because pandemic, it's, some people have called it the lost year in some sense, where pretty much about 12 months is lost. So in terms of pacing out the progress that we intend to see from the digital banks, have there been changes in the way digital banks are supposed to create that path to profitability? I'm not sure in the digital world, we've lost a year. We've probably gained a few years. The digital banks are entering the scene with a lot more Singaporeans now comfortable to operate on digital channels. And so the digital readiness of the population is higher today than it was before the pandemic. Of course, not every segment still. But in that sense, I think the landscape is more conducive for them because we are more digitally ready. Does it also raise the urgency to have that last perhaps 20% of the last remaining people who have yet to go on this digital train. How much more important is that, particularly today, now that we've seen sort of digital acceleration? Yes, I think that has become even more important. It's a very funny situation. With the pandemic, in one sense, financial inclusion and digital inclusion has been extended. The digital divide has eroded to some extent because service providers, whether it's e-commerce or e-payments or banks and others, have had to really simplify their offerings so that they can bring on more of these excluded segments of the population. And we've seen that. Inclusion has increased. However, on the other hand, the group that is still not on board, although smaller, is going to be more difficult. And so we need to now work extra hard on that group. When you have 60% on digital platforms and 40% non-digital, you can cater equally to both categories. But when you have 90 or 95% digital, then you only have 5% or 10% non, that group will find it very difficult because it's very hard to customize and reach out to them. So we have to work doubly hard, both the financial industry, the fintech firms, and we're hoping the digital banks will add to that effort as well. And of course, MAS working very closely with the other government agencies, IMD in particular, has been reaching out to food centers, hawker centers, and hand-holding them with respect to how they can get onto the digital journey e-payments, e-invoicing, and so on. There have also been some cases of security breaches. And as we go digital, obviously, cybersecurity is something that is on top of all our minds. Some of these consumer tech firms actually have also applied for digital bank licenses. So there are questions out there on whether such applicants are prepared to be regulated as banking entities. Do these incidences prompt greater scrutiny over these challenger banks and whether they can meet higher cybersecurity standards once they become banks? Yes, so we've been very conscious of this from day one, and it was one of the things that we debated at length before we even took this step, which is we must hold them to the same high technology risk management and cybersecurity standards as the traditional banks. There cannot be a compromise on that. And although they are technologically advanced, it doesn't mean that they necessarily have all these strong protections that banks have with respect to data confidentiality and so on. So this has been something we've insisted from day one. They are coming in with their eyes open. Part of our assessment of the applications includes a detailed evaluation of their risk management capabilities, especially in the technology space. Precisely because they're operating predominantly on the digital realm, 
It means that the service recoverability in case of downtime, that's very important. The kinds of cyber defenses they have around their systems, very important. The ability to patch and upgrade their infrastructure, very important. Many of them also would not be operating with traditional servers, but probably using the public cloud. And that has its own set of challenges, although the cloud makes it easier for very efficient provision of services, very quick data analysis and so on. It has its own risks. So we are paying particular attention where digital banks are going to be using predominantly the public cloud to manage their data. This is something we are very, very much on top of. We've been speaking with Mr. Ravi Manon, Managing Director of the MES. The Business Times will put out its annual Singapore FinTech Festival special in support of this upcoming event. The Singapore FinTech Festival runs this year from December 7th to December 11th. This has been the Business Times Banking and Finance Editor, Jamie. Thanks for listening in and we'll see you at the festival. That was an SBH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.